0: This is a 3CR podcast.
1: And this is Published or Not. What do you expect of the future? Where do you think you'll be in the future? Do you have a future? (laughs) Amy Rudder has written a humorous adventure story titled By Chance the
2: Future. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me, Jan. It's such an opportunity to be here with an esteemed reader such (laughs) as yourself.
1: Chance is in the title, but also in the name of the main character, Jackie Chance. Where is she when we first meet her? Jackie Chance is
2: in London. She's in a hostel in London. She's in the kitchen of a hostel in London, (laughs) which uh, can be a particularly colourful and fairly unclean place, but it's also a place where anything could happen. The next person who walks in could be the key to answering a question you always had.
1: Yeah. Hostel life. Now, this is a quote from Amy's book. What's wrong with that word? A collective noun of sorts for misfits, a catch-all for travellers, degenerates, learners, middle-aged men with, with nowhere to go. And it's often the smells that come out of this hostel.
2: This hostel in London is particularly dank. Jackie arrives in winter, so there's mould climbing up the walls The showers are flooding. There's an international tapestry of pubic hair in the showers, (laughs) blocking the drains. The meals being concocted in that sad little kitchen, with usually no more than three items in each meal, permeate throughout the very poor ventilation.
1: Well, she's travelling on a visa. She's working as a temp. And she sees her friend, Renée, that she's met at the hostel, Who's doing the hostel laundry in exchange for free board? But she's doing the same thing for months. What does Jackie want out of a stay in London? Jackie is
2: desperate to escape. Jackie is incredibly plain. However, she's got endless intrigue. She comes from Sydney suburban life. She knows nothing better than the fact that she needs to get out, that she needs to break free and that she needs to experience what she knows must be out there. And she looks at Renee as everything that she does not want to become, but almost the foil to her desires to get out because she could so easily become her.
1: Yes, she, she wants to mix with interesting people and attend wildly liberal parties, but she might be inherently conservative and risk-averse. But she's sexually active. Uh, what made sex so easy with Luke back in Sydney? I think that Jackie's use of
2: sex probably prior to arriving in London, is part of the first step she's taking on the route to an escape, a a desire to connect with something deeper in herself, to have herself unlocked in some kind of way. But unfortunately, the kinds of partners that she has who are just the suburban boys uh, aren't really... (laughs) the ones who are going to be able to do that for her. So she uh, she seeks a, a, a different type of man once she arrives in London.
1: And the first one we meet is Mamado from Sengal. They jump the fence into a private park. It's here she questions not the sex but the ability to lock up parkland so she's quite a a political person too yeah Jackie operates on a
2: number of different levels I think that she's definitely present or at least makes attempts to be present but she has a very active uh, (laughs) demon that sits on her shoulder and deposits thoughts into her brain Mm. that can be quite distracting from what it is that she's doing in the present and she wants to try and draw people around her into that dialogue in her brain and have them help her find a path out to answer those questions she has like how is it that you can lock up a park a park is surely free and open Mm. in the same way she says as she considers a beach to be free and open but discovers sadly that privatisation yeah. is uh, encroaching on all of our lives and all of our spaces. So she's definitely someone who's drawn to thinking on a bigger level while enjoying the perks of what she feels in the moment.
1: Yeah, well, yes. She has opinions and uh, when she's overcritical of somebody else's uh, c- country or lifestyle... She's brought back to, well, what about the Australian Aborigines? You know, this is, this is you know, what about that? And, uh, of course, there's the ongoing Palestine question too. Hish, who is from Palestine, becomes a friend. What is it about him that she first notices?
2: Definitely his hair. Uh, he has fantastic hair. It's really glossy. Jackie has horrible hair. She's, you know, she's as plain... Um, with her hair and her knowledge about how to style it as she is in her background and upbringing. But his, in his glossy, curly, with his glossy, curly hair does represent something more, something different. different, yeah. yeah a and quote,
1: I wanted to stick my finger in the curl above his left ear, roll it out and watch it bounce back. You know, it's just different things. And then there's Seth from South Africa. She met in the hostel bathroom, who she's very attracted to and tries to follow around festivals and squats and even a detention centre. They all have jobs they seem to do and enjoy. She sees herself as a fraud, unworldly and unsophisticated. And, well, she certainly lands a job what does she get to do well
2: after doing temp work she decides that she has to find something more and rings around in a phone booth putting putting <laughs> coins in that phone booth uh, all of the newspapers in london she feels that news is is something that operates on a higher level and that if she were to be closer to it, she would then somehow be closer to the stories that that news conveys. So she rings around and finally gets through to someone. Right place, right time.
1: Everything falls in place. You mentioned telephone booths. So the newspapers that she's reading... It gives us the, the time frame of where this book is set. Yes,
2: yeah, so it's set in 2001, around the turn of the century, which I think is a really interesting time for us 20 years beyond now to reflect on. And I've noticed that even lately, 90s seems to be having a, a rebirth in fashion and popular culture. And I do think that the turn of the century is a really great time to return to and to think how far we've come from using phone boxes, which back then was utterly normal. Yet now we almost look at them as some kind of relic
1: on the side of the street. (laughs) Absolutely. And page three women, scurrilous headlines and busty girls who beckoned you inside the newspaper from behind bold mastheads to their toplessness another relic of that era well (laughs) (laughs) yeah although
2: I don't know sometimes I think the gains um, is a one step forward two steps back Mm. type for for women but yes when I lived in London shocked by the fact that the page three girl still existed (sighs) I just worked under the assumption that those things had were something of the past but uh but yes, there was there was definitely a, a certain type of newspaper that, and a certain type of news that Jackie was interested in, and
1: it was very serious. And then uh, you remind us, or Jackie reminds us, that what was also in the news, which was George W.'s inauguration, and fax machines were being overtaken by emails. No, she wasn't a copy boy, she was a girl Friday. (laughs) One of her first duties was to swell the number of women at a function the newspaper had at Dorchester Hotel. What part of the security was she worried about? She was
2: at the Dorchester, a five-star hotel in Mayfair, worried that the grand dogs that had been brought in to sniff for bombs might sniff out the weed that <laughs>
1: permeated
2: her all clothing. through her clothes. Not because, might I add, she was a particularly <laughs> big dope smoker, but because in the hostel, as you might imagine, weed was a very strong smell
1: on more than one occasion. We follow her. She she gets into an adventure with one of the foreign correspondents there. And it, look, it's it's comedic, it's adventurous. Her whole reaction to this adventure was, you know, stopping the car and vomiting. <laughs> so we know that she wasn't such a brave girl. But it it really gave us a feel of the time. This wonderful book is self-published. The cover is fantastic. How difficult was it for you to, Amy Rudder, to self-publish?
2: Oh my gosh, Uh, it's been a lot of hard work. It continues to be hard work and I'm pretty sure if I want more to come out of this book and more people to read it, it's going to continue to be hard work. But it was a decision that in the end I felt I had no option but to make. I think after I'd gone through the process of every other avenue and having them close to me or finding them close to me, it probably took no more than an hour to decide that I'd forge ahead regardless. I'm a fairly competent human and I just thought, well, I'll figure it out. (laughs) Right. So, Amy Rada, where can people get this book? So, they can get the book actually in a lot of independent stores. I just managed to secure one in each state. Well done. Uh, So... Amazing bookstores like Dimicks Melbourne, Metropolis, Brunswick Bound, Better Read in Sydney, Fuller's in
1: Hobart, God, Avid oh Reader in Brisbane.
2: <laughs> but if they go to my website, they can find all the details of the stockists.
1: By Chance the Future by Amy Rudder blends the philosophy of why we travel with politics and comedy with the big question, what did we learn on the way? Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you.
0: I feel like a bit of a relic. I, I remember phone booths and fax <laughs> machines and the like. And I can even remember travelling overseas when it was done, which we can't do anymore. Uh, yeah, so
1: yes. it's, those uh, were the days. Those, those were the those
0: days. Were but, the day. but you've gone into the future. I'm going way back into the past to the times of ancient Rome and Achidor's book, The Boy Who Stepped Through Time if we travelled back in time to ancient Rome, what would we find? Well, in Anna kiddor's novel, The Boy Who Stepped Through Time, we have a chance of finding out. So, Anna, welcome to 3CR. Thank you, David. I'm excited to be talking to you. Now, your hero here, Perry, finds himself transported back 1,700 years to an authentic Roman experience in the time of emperor Constantine and what this does is give us an insight into the customs and practices of the time so I'm going to pass a few topics by you and get you to have a riff on some of these and one of the first ones is hygiene and sanitation I love this one what can you tell us
3: Well it was a little bit different in those days they certainly didn't do all the sanitizing that we're doing at the moment with COVID their cure for uh, sore throats and things if they had had COVID would have been uh, squashed millipedes or um, drinking horse saliva but um, yes I did have fun with the with the sanitation aspect of the book normally you don't describe people going to the toilet or anything like that in in a novel and I didn't go into it a lot but I couldn't really avoid it because it was such an interesting part of Roman life and so I did include it and first of all um, Perry's first experience when he goes back in time with toilets is he says "Um, look I need to go to the toilet where you know and the slave boy who's become friends with him says oh just go in there and he opens the door And to Perry's horror, it's a room with three toilet seats all in a row and one woman's already sitting there using the toilet and he uh, cringes in embarrassment because he doesn't want to sit on a shared toilet, which was the Roman way of doing things, and he certainly doesn't want to use that sponge on a stick that uh, everyone is using for toilet paper. So um, I I couldn't uh, leave that out because it was just such a fun aspect of, of that Roman life to
0: include. Well, I think the, there would be a few readers that would uh, revel in that. The boys might find it interesting. But you mentioned then slavery as well, and Perry finds himself as a slave. But what did that mean in the time of ancient Rome? Well, um,
3: I set the time of the boy who stepped through time in the late Roman period, so there were still slaves as we imagine um you know we all all know that the romans had slaves but at that stage in roman history um in in gaul um where the story is set in the south of france um the slaves were had been slaves for generations so if your parent was a slave you were a slave and it it kept on going like that so it wasn't so much people being captured and sold in marketplaces as, as slaves it was now an established part of life that some people were born slaves and they actually were often freed by the time they were 30, but they weren't all these um, downtrodden downtrodden people in chains that we imagine slavery to be from um, the American slaves. Um, These were just a a part of society um, who were actually looked after by their master and or mistress. And they were given education sometimes They did have to do what they were told. Um, They were, you know, the lower class in society. But some of them, and in fact Caritas in the story, regards himself as um, well off compared to poor people who were not slaves and who had no idea where their next meal was coming from, who might not have a roof over their heads. So it was a bit confronting um, for this boy Perry going back in time to find a slave who is actually quite content with his condition as a slave.
0: In fact, Caritas and Perry become friends with Camilla, who's um, one of the, a girl and that, that there's a friendship there, but she's not a slave and they're almost part of the family.
3: That's right. That's right. Well, the, the you know, the master's daughter is being brought up with um, this boy, Caritas, um, the, the slave boy. He works around the house. The, she doesn't have as much to do with the farm slaves who work out in, on the, in fields and things. But this boy who works around the house and, and uh, actually is allowed to have lessons with her and um, serves her at the dinner table, the, uh, he, in fact, um, is almost like a brother to her. And his mother was taken from him to be her nursemaid. I don't go into it in the story but if you research roman times that nursemaid was the one who uh, breastfed the the baby um instead of the real mother
0: usually okay here's another one for you and we have remnants of it in society today diet there's something we have today that came from roman times
3: oh yes well um there are some very strange foods that the romans ate and there are some that we still eat today uh the strange foods were that well, we might think of as, as more unusual are the you know the snails and, and the pigeons and things like that but in fact of course you can still you know eat snails if you want to and i actually ate uh, some pigeon the other day too i was in a very fancy restaurant for our wedding anniversary and they presented me um, as one of the courses with pigeon and for a moment i looked at it in shock and thought i can't eat pigeon but then I realised that well, if I did, I would know what um, these people in my Roman story were eating and what it tasted like. So I um, I, I forced myself to eat it, and it was it, it was it tasted like very strong chicken flavour. But one thing that I certainly have not tasted is dormice, which Perry just calls mice um, because he doesn't realise that a, a dormouse was actually a different animal. Um, but the the dorm the dormice were a Roman uh, delicacy. And when I was writing about them eating dormice in the story, I had to research what they tasted like because I couldn't find dormice on the menu here anywhere in Australia. Uh, but I, when I researched it, when I Googled it, I discovered that there are people in the world who still eat dormice and they have described what it tastes
0: like. So I knew that for the story. Garum, though, was something we still use today.
3: Well, that's fish sauce. Yep. Garum, which Perry said, oh, it's stinky and it's mouldy. Well, it's not really mouldy. It's uh, just a rather um, strong fermented um, sauce made from fish. So, yeah, and, and everyone sort of talks about that as this weird, disgusting Roman sauce. But we eat all sorts of fermented things now from you know soy sauce and all sorts of things that are fermented now. Now, what's the
0: importance of faith in Roman times? You describe several festivals. There's Saturnalia, Saturnalia. And even rituals at important times of the year. Oh, faith was ever present. It was a
3: very, very um, important part of the life. Um, they believed in all sorts of gods, and everything had gods and spirits. And the house had a, their home had a spirit. Everything um, was was revolved around these beliefs. Yes, they had festivals and rituals all the time, all through the day, all through the year. There were set rituals and festivals. Uh, when it was your birthday, you'd give thanks to the gods for letting you reach this point in your life. Um, but but all, all all through the day, there were these little rituals where they would, um, before every meal or, or during every meal, they, they'd stop and they'd go out to their little family shrine and they'd pour on incense and wine and give give little thank offerings to their little statuettes made of bronze and silver that they kept in their family shrine. Uh, and they yes, they were very, very um, strong believers in all these spirits and, and gods.
0: Now, here's the last one for you. And you only just sort of touch on it, but it could be developed or something to ponder on. The notion of destiny, because Perry, before he got transferred back in time, saw the grave of one Camilla Valentia, which is the girl he meets. And he thinks he needs to save her. So this notion of destiny and fate and chance in Roman times, how did they look upon
3: it? Well, um, it is a thought that crosses Perry's mind. Now, I had a very wonderful researcher who just happens to be my sister called Tamara, and she was doing all this intensive research for me about the way the Romans lived, which is otherwise I could never have finished this book. I actually started writing this book more than 50 years ago when I was a child. And uh, when I was 10, I I wrote this story about a Roman boy, and I didn't know enough about Roman times then to finish the novel. And so it took me about another 50 years, and I think I might have influenced my baby sister to be interested in ancient Romans because she ended up becoming an archaeologist and a historian specializing in ancient Rome so she was my go-to person all the way through the book and I had this idea myself that Romans believed in fate and destiny so I've, I've given Perry that belief because that's what we all seem to think but in fact Tamara said it was not so straightforward it was more these beliefs in the gods controlling your life and you could actually affect what happened to you by um, giving them gifts and pleasing the gods So I didn't want Perry to take on these Roman beliefs and try to save his friend by making offerings to the gods because I didn't think a modern boy would um, use those sort of beliefs. So he touches on the idea that, you know, do, do the Romans just believe in fate and destiny? Is that will they just accept that she's going to die? It's more that the Roman slaves would not have them have done anything to interfere to take on some, some uh, heroic act themselves normally because they were not used to making decisions for themselves. So instead of being able to say to his friend Caritas, look, you know, I know this girl's going to die. Can you Can you save her? He knew he couldn't rely on a slave boy to take on that sort of a commitment because he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to do something responsible like that. So Perry has to try to do something himself without using Roman beliefs, without relying on a slave boy to somehow protect this girl that he knows is in danger.
0: Well, if the listener wants to find out if Camilla is in fact, if they want to find out how Perry got to Rome in the first place, they're going to have to read the book called The Boy Who Stepped Through Time the author is Anna Kidor, and it's an Alan and Unwin release. So, Anna, thank you very much for talking with me today. David,
3: thank you for giving me the chance to share all my story behind the story.
0: Well, there we go. We've gone back in time, <laughs> a little <laughs> further than I expected.
1: Well, my publisher, well, it was a self-published so, book, yeah. but she put this little disputandum mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Latin yep. on on the where you sort of see the little publishing thingy, and I looked it up in matters of taste, there can be no disputes
0: <laughs> uh, right yes don't don't quarrel with me sort of thing,
1: yes,, ah. so I had Amy Rudder and her book by Chance, the future,
0: and I had uh, I was talking to Anna Kiddo about the boy who stepped through time. There's something always fascinating for the adolescent, uh, especially boys, about dinosaurs and ancient Rome. They always seem to have this eternal fascination, don't I, they?
1: I thought that your book started off in a toilet. Well, the, the,
0: <laughs> they encounter the daily life of what, how things would have taken place in Rome and the um, sort of communal hygiene facilities <laughs> were, are not what one would um, tolerate today. It's It's been quite interesting. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.